Now, I was told in a preaching class never to come to the last section of my sermon by saying, and finally, or in conclusion, or for my last point. Because often preachers lie and it's not really their conclusion. They've got about 10 more minutes. But also because it's a kind of a sign to the congregation that, hey, let's start packing up. Start thinking about traffic and beating the Baptists to the buffet. So they don't hear anything after that. But today we've come to the end of the book of Ephesians. And Paul is introducing his final section. And what word does he use? Finally. Which is fitting, but I hope we don't tune out. Because it's a fantastic ending to a fantastic book. Longfellow said that great is the art of beginning, but greater is the art of ending. And if you... uh, watched the TV show Lost, you know that that's an art that's not always mastered. <laughs> but Paul, who wrote Ephesians, mastered it. And so we come to our final section. And in getting there, uh, I want to, now's as good a time as any, to give a brief review of the book of everything that we've read in Ephesians, in case you weren't here, in case you missed a few, in case you've forgotten. So turn to Ephesians, to the beginning. Here's the whole book in two minutes, maybe three. The first half of chapter one reminds us and the Ephesians of seven blessings that God has chosen us for himself, for salvation. He's adopted us into his family. He's redeemed us, forgiven us, revealed his will, given us an inheritance, and sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 15 in chapter 1, for this reason then, Paul prays that God would enable them to understand all these riches they've been given and how powerful and mighty God is to accomplish them. Chapter 2 reminds the Ephesians that even though they used to walk in darkness and were dead in their sins doing all of the ungodly things that sons of evil one, the evil one would do, that God had reached out to them in love and grace and made them spiritually alive. In verse 11, therefore, the Gentiles and the Jews who are redeemed in Christ, are one body. There should be only unity, not hostility. Chapter 3, for this reason, Paul continues. Paul keeps bringing the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, which was clearly God's plan to redeem people in Christ outside of just the Jews. And then halfway through, verse 14, for this reason... Paul keeps praying that God's people will understand how great God's power and love are. Chapter 4, therefore, embrace the unity that God's given in the church. At the same time, urging everyone to use their gifts 
and the offices that they have to encourage one another to be mature. Put off your old self and its corrupt desires and embrace the new self that speaks and acts in ways that build up others. And then chapter 5, the beginning of 6, therefore walk as children of light, particularly avoiding crude talk, sexual sin, and, and drunkenness. Marriages should reflect the beautiful relationship of Christ and his bride, the church, in that husbands lay down their lives in selfless love for their wives, and their wives respond by submitting in respect. And that love and respect should extend to all our relationships. And so now, after all the arguments that build, and the descriptions, and they just keep building, and the therefores, and for this reason, Paul lands on this word, finally. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and the strength of His might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making application, supplication sorry, for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know that how I am and how, what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Before I pray, I want to give you my summary statement, my thesis statement for this sermon. I don't often do this, but here it is. Recognizing that spiritual attacks are real, believers need God's resources for standing firm in the midst of them. Recognizing spiritual attacks are real. Believers need God's resources for standing firm in the midst of them. Let's pray. Lord God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. 
Open, illuminate our minds that we may better understand your word and that our lives may be conformed to what we have understood. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. I think in thinking over this passage, our culture, many Americans, get a little nervous when they hear talk about Christians arming themselves for battle, right? We, we have this embarrassing little historical episode known as the Crusades, where Christian soldiers went to liberate Jerusalem from the Muslims, and there were, there were many of them, and many went off track, and, and Jews were killed, and Christians, children were killed, and even other Christians on the way. And we used to hear of extremists blowing up abortion clinics, and if you remember Y2K, and had guys with AK-47 waiting for the end times and the apocalypse in their house in the woods. And so, maybe people are nervous when they hear this. Uh, I met a, a woman from Germany, actually uh, flying here, not when I was in Germany, but she, she said that she grew up and everyone she talked to thought Americans just walk around with guns all over the place. <laughs> She'd been here long enough to realize that wasn't really true. But it can be, make people nervous, right? Reading that the Bible commands us to put on armor, prepare for battle. I mean, what's the, what's the nature of this battle? Is this, are we declaring war on unbelievers? Jihad, that you must convert or die? No. No, of course not. We are putting on armor because we're under attack. Who are we under attack from? Well, I think sometimes Christians paint our mission as engaging in a cultural war. If people disagree with us about religious views, about abortion, about homosexuality, about uh, drug laws, whatever, then they are wrong and they are the enemy. Uh, particularly when we characterize a whole group of people as having an agenda, uh, then we can be very angry at them and we, we target them and find ways to defeat them. And I don't want to deny, I don't want to say at all, that, that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics or, or trying to seek change, or that people have opposing ideology or agendas that are very different than our own. But I want us to think a little deeper, if that's our uh, picture of where the battle is. Um, I want you to imagine this scenario. Imagine that you are in the armed forces, you've been specially trained, you're set out on a search and rescue mission, and you're going to free some captives. And so you come to the building where you've got intel. This is where the captives are. You blow the doors. You run in. You open the room. You see the captives. And at that point, you have a choice. Should you go in and free them and take them home? Or do you shoot them? And I 
I hope you're saying, what? Shoot them? We've been sent to rescue them. And you would be right. But sometimes that's what we want to do. Sometimes that's what we paint our mission field, the unbelievers in the world and their anti-Christian agenda. We paint this as our enemy. We forget that we're trying to rescue them. And we confuse them as our enemies and not captives themselves. We need to remember who our real enemy is, who blinds and enslaves those that Jesus wants to set free. So as we drill down on the text, verses 10 through 12, tell us about our real enemy. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, Christians sometimes don't talk about the devil, about Satan. It's, it's, it can be kind of embarrassing. It's easy to mock. It doesn't seem sophisticated. C.S. Lewis, back in the 1950s, in his preface to the Screwtape Letters, said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, the demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail both the materialist and the magician with the same delight. In other words, some people say, demons, devils, we're, we're more enlightened than that. That, that doesn't exist anymore. But then other people talk about demons being behind every spiritual, I mean, behind every health issue, behind every car wreck or, or problem that they have in their life. And I think we need to find a healthy balance in there. Satan is real, but Satan is not an equal force to God. We sometimes think of Satan as being sort of equal to God, that he's omnipotent, right, all-powerful, or that he's omniscient, all-knowing, or he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. None of those are true. Satan cannot be in two places at a time. He is a finite being. First Peter tells us that he prowls around like a roaring lion, but he is still one being. Uh, but that's why this passage mentions authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces, because Satan is not alone. He has legions of helpers, demons. I, I don't know what they look like. I don't know exactly how they act, except how the scriptures describe them. But I do know that the devil, the enemy, the adversary, will work to undo all of God's work that was described in those first five chapters of Ephesians. Our 
spiritual blessings and joy, our unity with one another, our growth in holiness, our marriages, our families, all the things that please God enrage Satan. You remember the verse from a mighty fortress, Martin Luther, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And he will attack because he hates God's work on behalf of the Christian. We must prepare for spiritual warfare, spiritual battle, because as Simon Austin said, when we rightly live as God's new creation, the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms look at the church and see the wisdom of God in operation. It is as if Satan, defeated by the blood of Jesus at the cross, looks at the church and in seeing a picture of the future realizes that his days are numbered. Now, I would say, if you don't believe this stuff in the first five chapters, if you're not really striving to be an obedient Christian, you may not have to worry about that. Satan may leave you alone, in a sense. You don't need armor if you're not part of the battle. But you'll be missing out on the blessings of a deep, thriving faith. And Christians, we should not be shocked when those things come. Right? First Peter, I mean, it's all over the New Testament, but First Peter 4 says, don't be surprised by the fiery trials. Instead, be ready. You should not be surprised when your life is not perfect. When jobs don't work out, when family conflict escalates, when darkness and doubts creep in. I hope you are not under the illusion that the Christian life is free of struggle because it's the opposite. That's when the struggle begins. Different struggle. Evil forces are at work at the same time that God is testing and refining you. But you, but we are not helpless or defenseless. God has given us protection. Verses 13 through 17 describe God's armor. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, Frank Wong dared me to dress up like a soldier. I did not take him up on that. Just to emphasize, have a visual. But 
we're told four different times and different ways in these verses to stand. Did you notice that? You may think that just standing in spiritual warfare is is not that big of an accomplishment. When we could be out accomplishing, attacking, conquering. But the longer you read the New Testament and, and the longer you experience spiritual warfare, maybe the more you understand that standing up under the attacks of the evil one actually is a big accomplishment. Yesterday I heard the coordinator for the Reformed University ministry. So all of the Reformed University fellowships and all the different campuses. Uh, it's where Jeff Lee works at Christopher Newport. But the, the national coordinator, Tom Cannon, uh, spoke at our presbytery meeting. And one of the stories he told was when he was younger. He was a campus minister before he was the coordinator. And a bunch of other campus ministers were gathered together. And, and the question was posed, what do you want to see in the lives of your students that you're ministering to, that you're discipling to, in 25 years? And so they're kind of going around the, the circle, and Tom was last, so he got to think about his for a while. And he said early on, someone said, you know, hey, I, I hope they have this great zeal to witness to people and to live lifestyle evangelism. And the next guy said, yeah, um, well, I would just love to see them commit large portions of the Scripture to memory and really know the Bible inside and out. And someone else said, well, I, I hope that they develop a, a heart for the poor and the hurting. And, and it came around to Tom, and he thought, wow, those are all really good, and I hope that they happen. But what his answer actually was, I hope that they're just still Christians. Um, I know that may sound like we're lowering the bar, lowering our expectations, but that was an honest answer because Tom, as many of us, have seen kids go off to college and into their 20s and buckle under the anti-Christian, anti-God beliefs of their professors, their friends, their environments, the mocking of faith. Maybe they never studied it, don't realize how... Uh, the arguments, the apologetics behind it, but they did not lean on the truth. They did not utilize their shields of faith. Maybe they never had them in the first place. Um, others, maybe they just forgot the deep spiritual resources they had to help them stand. Or maybe we never taught them. But he sees it, and we see it. And so as we look at the different pieces of armor, I want us to realize that you don't need to think that these are some exotic, hard-to-find, hard-to-obtain pieces of armor, right? That you need to learn Greek to be your belt of truth, or that you need to have some huge spiritual accomplishment of starting a ministry or writing a book or something, and that'll be your shield. Um, no, each piece of the armor that we're told to put on is readily available to every Christian. From the lowest achieving to the highest and holiest. 
truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the Word of God, those are the parts of the armor. And they are not virtuous actions that we are to start doing. Rather, they're ways of describing the impact of the gospel. The full armor of God is simply faith in the gospel, which the devil wants us to abandon. It's not even called our armor, is it? It's God's armor, graciously given to us. So Paul describes these six pieces as a picture of the great resources we have. And there's speculation. I don't know if this is true or not, but where's Paul? He's in prison, right? And so there's probably a Roman soldier there, either guarding him, maybe even chained to him. And so as Paul's writing, he's looking. And the first piece is this belt of truth. Um, And in order for a soldier to have free movement, the belt was necessary. It bound everything up so that he could have free movement. And it provided a place for his sword. The Christian can move freely and quickly because he knows the truth in any situation. And so we're urged to put the truth of Christ on every day. Preach the gospel to yourself and and wear it everywhere you go. The second, the breastplate of righteousness. This was the, the body armor that was a major item of defense, right? Protecting the key organs. Christ has made us righteous in God's sight and so we wear that front and center. And when we wear it, we don't give the enemy an opportunity to take us out squarely in the chest. Next, the third one, shoes that are ready with the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers sometimes had to travel great distances. So good footwear was important. And Paul is most likely thinking of Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. The Christian soldier needs to be able to move. For the shield of faith. Now the word that Paul uses for shield is not a small shield, just covering part of him. It was a door-sized shield, most likely with leather on the outside, because in battle then they would shoot flaming arrows. And so that shield with leather would extinguish the fire. And he says it's the shield of faith. Faith, the ability to look toward God and to trust in His protection is the crucial item of defense against the evil one and his attacks. Five, the the helmet of salvation. Our salvation is the center of of our relationship with God, our our great hope. To know that we belong to Christ, above all, protects us from every unworthy claim on our lives. And finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have the Word to protect us, to use. What did Jesus do when Satan came to tempt him in the wilderness. Quoted Deuteronomy. 
right? When we know the truth of the word, we use that as a weapon against him. 1 John 2.14 says, The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So how does this work? I don't know about you. I don't know what spiritual warfare, spiritual battles look like in your life. Some of you may have had very real encounters with what you felt was evil. But I know that all of us, I know that I have great doubts. I experience great fears and disillusionments. They come in the middle of the night when I wake up and start worrying. They come after hard conversations. They come when I start feeling like I haven't done enough or that things are not going how I planned. Or someone's illness or someone's trial or just the way the world is going. I am prone to despair and I recognize that as a spiritual attack. Listen, I don't know exactly what is an attack from demonic forces and what is sometimes just my own insecurities and issues, but I think we have the same weapons to fight them. And we have the choice to kind of wallow in that despair and admit defeat. Or another choice would just be to distract ourselves Right with, with TV or internet or sports or whatever distracts us from really confronting that. Or we can use the gifts that God's given us for just those times. Darkness and the forces of evil can knock us down for a few rounds, but we've got truth. Right? I am a child of God. I've got faith that I've been saved and sealed for all eternity to belong to my gracious Heavenly Father. I've got His Word that promises my salvation and that He will complete the work that He began in me and that I will be an overcomer through His power. That in the end, we win. We just have to endure. And so those times when we are brought to our knees, when we are attacked, when we despair, we have amazing resources. It's not always that easy, I realize. That's why it's a battle. The last seven verses show that we believe, that we receive strength from other believers and from the Lord. Verses 18 through 24. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may 
Declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and then he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Do you know what the great preacher Charles Spurgeon replied when he was asked, what is the secret of your ministry? This was a man who preached to thousands at a time, had pastored the largest independent church in the mid 19th century, had his sermons printed every week in the London Times, started a pastor's college. I mean, just amazing things. Surely he must have had some cool secret for the success of his ministry. And I think he did. His answer was, my people pray for me. And that's what Paul is asking for. Paul in chains. Paul wanting the message, the gospel to continue to go forward. His friends and fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, he asked to pray for him. Now this isn't listed as a a part of the armor. Maybe Paul ran out of pieces. But our best weapon is prayer. Is it not? Paul needed prayer the support and the love of the church. Especially men like Tychicus who delivered his letters, explained things to the churches in Paul's absence. He needed those that he could count on. And we need a body of believers around us, supporting us, praying for us. Remember that all the commands in this passage are actually the second person plural. I probably should have mentioned that at the beginning. It's You all, you guys, be strong in the Lord. Y'all put on the armor of God. All of you. We have God's resources, but let's not overlook one of them is community, too, and being in the fight together. The last song we're going to sing this morning is, O Church, Arise. And the first verse says, O Church, Arise. Put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies. An army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. It's going to be the perfect ending song. None of this passage, none of this book happens without the grace and the love of God put into action in the life, death, and resurrection of His Son. The last two verses of this passage and of the whole book tell us that the Lord Jesus Christ loves us greatly and that we are blessed when we love Him back. And this is really the key to understanding 
all of what Paul teaches. That Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life. He was assaulted and tempted by Satan. And he bore the armor of God better than you or I ever will. Truth, righteousness, faith, salvation, the word, the gospel, those were his constant resources. And he bore up under temptation. Those stayed with him as he submitted to being arrested and sentenced to death and crucified. Because he knew that that was God's plan to redeem his people, to pay the penalty for the sin and the death of his son. And so each of us who were helpless and dead in our sins can be made spiritually alive, forgiven of all of our sins and blessed with every spiritual blessing, ready to claim our inheritance of eternal life. But first, the battle that we must endure through with God's help. And all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible said, Amen. Father God, thank you for this book that we've been studying for the last three months. Thank you for Paul's strong teaching, strong letter to the Ephesians that I'm sure was sent throughout the churches of his time and has been preserved for us, for us to learn, for us to apply. Thank you for all we've been learning from it. I pray that we would continue to dive deeply in its teachings. But I pray especially for this last passage that knowing that we have so many amazing blessings in Christ, that that provokes the evil one. That that provokes opposition. That stepping into our new life and responding and being obedient and being the church is Satan's worst fear. And so he will threaten to derail us. Sometimes subtly, often subtly, sometimes full on. And so we pray, we know that we are not his equal. But that you are greater. And that you've given us everything we need to stand when he assaults us when he tempts us, when he hurts us. God, you've given us our salvation, the rock to stand on. You've given us the ability to respond in faith. You've given us your word that reveals your will. You've given us your spirit. And you stay with us. You answer our prayers. And you placed us in a body of believers who will support us. God, may we draw upon every 
single one of those resources to stand firm. The book of Revelation tells us to those who overcome, we will be given crowns of life. We will be given manna. We will be given the great rewards because you walk with us through this life, protecting us and guiding us. Thank you for that, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.